another episode of Are You Really Living podcast. The month of May is time to raise awareness for those living with mental health issues and to help reduce the stigma around mental health. This month was established in 1949 to increase awareness of the importance of mental health and to celebrate recovery from mental illness. Mental health is essential for a person's overall health. Today's guests are all licensed clinicians. Let's welcome our guests, Angie Jean, Eliana Dorval, and Darlene Jean, and our host, Enrio Longchamp. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Are You Really Living? I have three wonderful licensed clinicians in their respectable field. Uh, we will be talking about mental health today. Without further ado, let me introduce our first guest, Ms. Eliana. Her second guest, Ms. Darlene, and her third, Ms. Angie. And I will start with Ms. Eliana. So how are you today? And if you can introduce yourself to the audience, you are a former uh, guest of the show. So welcome back. So Thank you. So you can go ahead and introduce yourself again, and then uh, we'll go after, to the others after. Sure. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Eliana Dorville. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've been in the field now for about 12 years. Um, and the population that I frequently serve um, involves individuals that are, uh, you know, mentally, um, that have mental health conditions as well as individuals that have developmental issues as well. Thank you. And now to our second guest, Ms. Darlene. Hi, everyone. My name is Darlene. I am a licensed clinical social worker. I have been, oh, and also a master's level certified addictions professional. Um, I have been in the field for approximately seven years, serving individuals who experience co-occurring disorders, such as substance use disorders, as well as mental health illnesses, uh, working with the populations from uh, adolescents, child, children, and my preferred population, which is adults. And now to our third guest, we saved the best for last, Miss Angie. Hi, everyone. My name is Angie. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist as well. And I've been in the field for five years. I've done a little bit of everything. I've done ABA tech. I've done um, medical social work. I've done an orderly in the psych ward, not psych ward, but <laughs> behavioral health unit. That's the politically correct way of saying it. And uh, I am currently serving as a therapist at Lifestance Health. Um, I see people zero to 65 years old uh, for all a range of medical and mental health <clears throat> conditions. Perfect. Well, welcome you all to this show. Uh, let's start with, can you share ex your experiences working with people who have mental health conditions? Well, I mean, I can start if you guys are okay with that. Um, sure. Working with that population, I mean, I, I enjoy it because it's never a dull moment. You get a chance to be creative, think outside of the box, see how you can better serve um, those individuals, see meeting them where they're at is my favorite part of the role or the, the job um, of working with someone with mental illness. Um, but also understanding that those individuals are normal, like everyone else, right? So we all experience some level of mental health going on. So understanding that those people who are on the extreme end may not be 
any different from you or I. They're still human beings and they still deserve to be met where they're at and supported in their journey to healthiness, mental healthiness. Okay. Anyone else want to go and add anything else? Um, I guess I can echo what Darlene just mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, about working with this particular population. One of the things that I enjoy most about it as well is in addition to meeting the clients where they're at, it's also seeing and having them gain insight into some of the issues that they're um, they're dealing with. Um, you know, coming into this field, it wasn't something that um, happened by accident. I see and I understand that there's a need to kind of explore and get to the root of what's causing the issue. And with that, we've been able to, you know, in the field as a whole, not just myself as a clinician, but I think in the field of psychiatry and psychological care, we've been able to help clients move from one step to the other. And the biggest part of that is them gaining the awareness so that they can make positive mm -hmm. changes towards being healthier. Okay. Now, my question now is going to be to Angie. Um, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that the, the people that are experiencing mental health are facing? I think one big one big challenge is the fact that sometimes they are stuck on the step that they have been on for the longest time, and it's hard to kind of gain awareness, as Eliana said, gain awareness, be self-aware about where they're at, how to create a new avenue that they can mm -hmm. explore. And, you know, that stagnation that they experience is so... Uh, just debilitating sometimes that they can't imagine uh, taking a different route, you know? And so helping them to gain that, that insight um, and explore that avenue mentally and then for them to, to put into action some, some steps to help them reach those goals, those, those things are very important for, for us to explore during our sessions. Okay. Now, there's still a stigma surrounding mental health, and many people are afraid to even talk about it or seek help. Um, how do you think we can overcome this stigma? And especially, you know, May is the month of mental health awareness, and encourage people to prioritize their mental health. I can start with that. I think the um, one of the biggest things that we have to do is really destigmatize mental um, mental illness or mental health um, conditions. Um, the biggest challenge that we have in our field, particularly with the Black community, uh, mental health issues or mental health conditions are viewed as something a taboo. Right? We're not expected to have these issues. We're to be perceived as strong, tough. You know, not be that sensitive about what's going on in our lives. And until we're able to really move away from that and really swing the pendulum to the end to the other end of being more self-aware self-conscious it's really going to be very difficult for us to really make a dent in destigmatizing and having our people um seek out mental health care um you know just looking at some statistics it talked about black men that black men are 20 if you look at the whole population as a whole compared to whites um Black men are 24% of black males will seek out mental health services compared to 46% of white males. And they could be dealing with the same issues, but there's this concept or this notion that we're not to talk about things that, you know, talking about those things means that we're weak. So un until we're able to, in our homes, have that dialogue saying that it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to, you know, have feelings, to show emotion, it's going to be very difficult for us as a community to really move towards 
are people seeking more and obtaining more care. So just to piggyback off of that, we you spoke about our different households. All of us here on the table are from Caribbean backgrounds, right? In the Caribbean household, we already know, right? It's it's very stigmatized. It's very, yeah. hey, let's not talk about this. Or if we have an uncle that's there, we, we call them Munfu, right? Or we'll call them the crazy person or whatever terminologies we use in the different Caribbean households. But at the end of the day, we have to be able to find a way to reframe those words, right? Maybe this individual is experiencing a mental health illness, but let's talk about it in a different light. Let's not use the, the words like crazy. Let's not use the words to label them as something that they're really not, right? They're just having a hard time. They're just experiencing a challenge, like um, Angie was saying, overcoming certain hand, um, hurdles that they've been experiencing in the past and and maybe you destigmatizing and using different words can assist in helping them to move forward helping that whole household to be informed and move forward and assist and support that individual into getting into a, men- a better mental health space yeah i like to piggy piggyback <laughs> off of that um you know i was seeing someone some time ago and he was talking about how much he was struggling and you know, that everyone around him uh, saw the angry side and he knew that if he ever seek uh, assistance, help in any way, that he'd be seen as soft. Like, why don't you just shake it off, dude? Yeah. You know, like, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do that? And coming to a place where, you know, the, the clinician is not allowed to kind of, um, you know, show judgment in any way and can meet you where you're at. And can provide you those those tools that you need to explore those avenues. It, for a lot of people, is a weight lifted off their shoulders. They can feel that they don't have to put up a front or to act differently or to act a certain way. They can be themselves. They can talk using the, the words and language that they relate to the most. Mm-hmm. And they can, you know, actually explore those things with the clinician that maybe they, they don't have the opportunities to share with the other people in their, in their family system or in their friend system. So, you know, we kind of provide that for people on a daily basis. So, you know, it's, it's an honor to kind of uh, create those spaces. Yeah. And Angie, I'm sorry, if I can just add to something that you mentioned, you know, having that space and having access to, excuse me, clinicians that are available to kind of speak and talk to um, individuals about what they're going through. One of the biggest challenges that we often see in the field of psychology or counseling for that matter is representation. Um, You know, if you're not able to go and meet with someone that looks like you or someone that understands your culture, it's very difficult. You're going to be less likely to engage in services because you're going to feel as though the person sitting across from you it doesn't understand what you've gone through, what you what you're going through. And that's something that we have to we have to work on because we can destigmatize all we want to, but if I'm not sitting with someone that I feel understands what I'm going through or understands my background, understand that when I say I don't trust the government, I don't trust this person, I'm not paranoid, I just have real reasons not to trust them, we're not gonna be able to get people, our people, into counseling, into clinical services. We're not going to be able to do that because the trust isn't there. Yeah. So are you guys saying that Black clinicians matter? Absolutely. Absolutely Black clinicians. Yeah. There's only, there's 4% 
according to APA, there's only 4% of um, black psychologists in mm. the states. That, that's a horrible that's, number. That is a problem. That is yeah. a problem. Because again, when you're searching for a clinician, if you don't see someone that looks like you, look like you, you're not going to feel safe to divulge a lot of the private things that we need to talk about. Yeah, that's that's facts. Okay. Now, social media is often blamed for causing mental health issues. For example, if a young person is looking at another person and that person might be better looking or has more money, um, that could affect their mental health. In your opinion, what role do those factors play in mental health and how can technology support mental health wellness instead? I see it being twofold, right? Mm -hmm. I see social media being serving a purpose, but also being positive. But I also see it with its negative in the example that you gave where, you know, on social media, people present this glamorized life that everything is together. Everything is perfect. You know, they're thin, their face is perfectly contoured. Everything is real, you know, beautiful. But in reality, that's not really what it is. So if you have someone that already is going through a lot, and they're seeing these images on social media platforms, they may think that they're inadequate. They may feel like they're not beautiful. They may feel like, you know, they don't have it all. So that really tears at their own um, self sense of self. But that's not the reality, right? That's just, that's social media. That's that fake reality. On the positive end of it, I see social media being an avenue for people to really have access to social, um, to healthcare, to mental health care resources. Um, during the pandemic, one of the things that we saw, people were doing like check-ins. Um, people were able to access clinicians. So like everything in life, there's good and there's pros and cons to it. But I see social media serving two purposes and I see it being both a positive, but it can also have really detrimental effects and impact on the ne- negative sense because people believe what they see to be fact and it's not. It's really not. Well, I agree. I agree with that. I was off of social media for what, four years? Mm-hmm. Period of four years. And it wasn't because I experienced that comparison um, thing that everyone talks about when it comes to social media. I, I didn't experience that comparison thing. But now that I'm back on social media, I, I I can see how one can be like, okay, and I'm at a different stage in my life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where everyone around my age are is getting married, they're having children. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, progressing in life, which is amazing, but I can see where one can compare that and say, Hey, well, I'm not at this point in my life. I'm not experiencing this. I'm not, I haven't accomplished this. Am I missing something? So I can see how that can play, but I also see the benefits of seeing like a post that cracks me up. You can ask either one of these ladies and in real you too, Um, (laughs) you know, how many times I'll send you guys a meme or send you guys a funny little clip and it'll really liven up your day. Especially if you were having like a really tough day, you just take a look at it and you're like, ha ha ha. Or something encouraging, something motivational, something that'll, you know, push you to keep moving forward in the day or do something different or try something different, right? Making a new dish, trying a new workout. I watch workout videos all the time. I see different hairstyles I'd like to try. So I see, like Eliana say, both the positive and the negative aspects and how it can impact your mental health in either way. I think it's important to kind of limit, filter, put boundaries, you know, in place when it comes to social media. Because if you have filters there, if you have, you know, your boundaries when it comes to social media, then you can kind of filter out 
the stuff that you don't want to see, that's not helpful, that's not serving you. And you can amplify the stuff that you actually want to see that's helpful and that's encouraging and that's positive. So you can have, you know, an uplifting experience as opposed to, you know, one that's not adding to your to your mental health. Uh, for example, me, I hate the news. <laughs> Same. Okay? Not yeah. hate the news per se, but uh, I don't <laughs> like looking at um, the disparaging images and news stories. So I limit those. I um, I just amplify the stories and pages that add to my self esteem, and that you know it, it adds to my positivity throughout the day. That's what I amplify on my social media. So just to also add full disclosure, I do have a therapist as well that I'm seeing. Um, and my therapist made this suggestion when I decided to get back on social media. She made the suggestion of, like you mentioned, Angie, setting those boundaries for yourself. If you see that you are getting back on the wagon, which I think I'm almost there um, and checking my social media on a daily basis. Um, but if you see that you're checking it the minute you wake up or you're like so invested in it that, you know, you can't just put something down in order for you. Yeah. Then go ahead and set boundaries. Maybe go a day without it. Maybe say, okay, today I'm just going to do two hours, maybe travel with a book. So I always have my book with me. One of these days (laughs) I'm going to actually open it in the place of social media. But that's the goal. The goal is for me to be able to set those boundaries. Maybe go two weeks without it. Maybe go a week without it. If I was able to do four years, I think I am able to do two weeks. I think you're capable. I know. I know. It's just once you get back into that circle, I'm telling you, it's really hard for you to get back out. Yeah. But I think that's that. That's a part of our society, right? Because yeah. we're used to instant gratification, things being ready in a minute. Like we have meals that can be cooked in a minute. So we're just used to being like able to access things so quickly and us being able to see a glimpse into people's lives or what's happening around the world. It's, it's, it's entertaining. It is. It's entertaining, but it also can become very addictive. And that's one of the mm-hmm. things that happened during the pandemic, right? We were all kind of just locked in there looking at social media And if we look, particularly in the school systems, we saw that kids were a lot more depressed. We saw that depression went up a lot because people, they were so like drawn in. People became to lose um, connection with one another. So that social connectedness, that was absent because you get so caught up in this virtual world that having to sit down and and talking to people in in life, in the real world, became a thing of, "Mm, I'd rather just talk to someone online. I'd rather go and do Roblox. I'd rather go and do, you know, that that world became such a such a monster to be quite mm-hmm. honest because you're looking at children looking at people and they would rather have these exchanges or interactions with someone else and the person could be home with them in the other room and there's no connection there mm-hmm. so you know i i felt so uncomfortable coming out of the pandemic Mm-hmm. season where we had to be like closed in with just our loved mm-hmm. ones and then having to socialize and yeah. lead teams and lead meetings and have conversations with people outside I felt uncomfortable getting in, back into that that space even though I never stopped working during yeah. the pandemic but me being able to have conversations on a g- bigger scale and not having our mask on was definitely a bit yeah. of a transition because of how 
connected yeah. and, and how like addicted you are to that reality because yeah. with that reality you can control it mm-hmm. and i think that's the part about that virtual world right because in in real life someone can say something to you someone can do and you you just have to kind of deal with it you there's it's hard to kind of set some boundaries but you can just log off right someone is trolling you online you block them you know they can open another account but you block you can set up certain parameters um around what you want to be exposed to or involved in um it's 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 great but i think it definitely did add to a lot of the compounded issues that people are already experiencing. Now, this is going to be a tough one. Is mainly in reference to what happened in New York in the subway, the young black man that was choked to death. My question to you guys is that when somebody's having a mental breakdown, mm-hmm. they don't have it written in their forehead. No. So how can someone in public deal with someone that's having a mental breakdown that they're not aware that the person just went to a mental health issue humanity quite simply i i I, you don't have to be a licensed clinician you don't have to be certified in anything you see someone having an episode you see someone having a psychotic episode and you don't know what to do one of the things that annoy me with today's um obsession with telephones is everyone wants to record it um, instead of seeking out help or trying to protect or trying to help one another. If someone is, I was in Walmart and I saw a young lady come in there and she was clearly having an episode, you know, she was throwing herself all over the place and come to find out she had just lost her child. So there was a lot of things behind that, but the people were just standing there like recording her, laughing at her, doing different things. This young man in New York that was killed If people, I think, just operated from just pure humanity, if you don't know what to do, elect not to do something that's in poor taste, something that shows that you have no regard for the person's life. Um, I was, I questioned, you know, do I, do I, do I bake a rag? Do I, what do I do? I called 911. You know, I called and said, there's someone here having, having a psychotic um, episode. This is what she's doing. We need to have someone come here. The other big thing is, it's really important for law enforcement to be trained to work with individuals that are living on the streets, individuals that are experiencing experiencing mental health issues, so that when they do respond to the scene, they're able to deal with them. I don't expect a civilian to go in and try to de-escalate because they're not going to know what to do. It could exacerbate the situation. The person could, it, it could be a harm situation, but particularly when you have the first responders coming to deal with situations like that, it's, it's Extremely, extremely important that they are well equipped with the tools to do the job, whether they're going to do a Baker Act or they're going to get someone else to come in and help that individual. It's extremely, extremely important. Okay. And clearly I'm passionate about this. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, now, we need that. For, uh, for somebody that doesn't know, what does the word Baker Act? So Baker Act is basically an involuntary hospitalization of someone. So you do an assessment, you determine that the person, they're a harm to themselves or a harm to someone else. So you do an involuntary Baker Act, meaning that you're basically saying that there needs to be a hold on them and it's against their will. Okay. So that's what it is. You'll call law enforcement, law enforcement will come and take them to a psychiatric hospital and they're going to be held for 72 hours for observation. Clients can also elect to go and get assessed themselves. And we love when they do that because it demonstrates that they have some level of um, insight to their issues. But a Baker Act is basically an involuntary hospitalization of someone that's experiencing a mental health um, issue. For about 72 hours. Yeah. yeah. That was going to be my next question. I don't know what they mm-hmm. held for. 
And uh, what happened if they're still not better within the 72 hours? Do, does the hospital let them go or what, what happened? So it's usually 72 hours, but if they see that the person is still not stable, they can hold the person there. But technically, they don't. the person can elect to leave, right? The person can say, I no longer want to be here. Please discharge me. Of course, they would be going AMA because the recommendation of the psychiatrist would be, hey, this person has to stay here for a period of time longer until they're stable. But if not, they go ahead and um, they can just leave AMA. What was AMA, no. darling? Sorry. Against medical advice. So if a medical professional says, hey, I think that you need to stay in this area for a period of time, um, and you're saying, no, this is not something that's a priority for me, then they're going to mark you AMA. They're going to give you your discharge paperwork, but they're going to mark you AMA. Yeah. Yeah. How does the month of May came about to be Mental Health Awareness Month? Mm, the history. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. I can't I can't give an account, like recall exactly what initiated this, but you know, going back to um I would I would date back to the onset of when clients were initially treated for psychiatric conditions and they were just held in really, really terrible conditions. It was generally in the jail system. They weren't any type of medication, any type of proper care. Um and then as time I would say probably the turn of the twenty first century, when we really started to see this awakening of there's a need for care in the mental health um, arena where individuals became more aware. They started paying attention more. They started, you know, trying to use the proper terms. That's when we, I think for us in our field, it really kind of birthed like, okay, we need to have something to celebrate this, to destigmatize it, to make it more commercial in a sense, because I think that's possible for people um, and it allows them to be able to be vulnerable. But do you guys think that it got more relevant in the last hmm, let's say three to five years absolutely i think it did absolutely because mental health was not a big thing no mm. absolutely and i think what helps that process and helps it to kind of get that gas is when you have celebrities like taraji p henson that is promoting mental health wellness you have individuals like lebron talking about mental health wellness you have different people talking about the importance of taking care of oneself and being holistic and doing things like that it definitely helps to kind of give the steam to it um they in a couple of um years ago they showed movies like butterfly effect um shutter island um that was a good one Fight Club. No, that wasn't a psychological. Mm -hmm. It was? Mm -hmm. Okay, Fight Club then. Tell us about it. Yeah. But these different, and you can tell us about it, but these different movies um, helps to kind of show what someone who is experiencing mental health issue, what a day in their life is like. It wasn't until the end of the movie that you're like, oh my goodness, that person Mm. was schizophrenic. It was like, like, whoa. And I think that portrayal of it helps you to kind of gain understanding because the only relevance we had was the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. And in that movie, they talked about lobotomy and things like that. And that was kind of like, dare I say, the prehistoric way of dealing with, you know, psych- uh, psychiatric conditions. But now we're talking more about talk therapy, um, you know, medication, making sure that you have talk therapy and medication, support mm-hmm. groups. So it has come, I think, leaps and bounds, still ways to go because it's still in certain population is popular but others it's not like we said uh, in the caribbean or black um communities it's not something that it's a go-to immediately but different movies and different shows and i think different people celebrities um 
promoting it definitely helps because everyone mm-hmm. listens to celebrities, right? Yeah. yeah. Charlemagne the God goes to therapy Correct. every Tuesday. Correct. <laughs> and when that. they do that, then it becomes cool, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. When celebrities promote it, it becomes a cool thing to do so people are more inclined to follow. And it's good to see them using their influence for that. Yeah. That's, that's good. Now, let's say a child is... When do you see the difference like a child is having a uh, tantrum? Or is having mental health issues? I'll let the parents, the mothers, <laughs> take take charge of this. Or, I mean, have you seen it in your practice where a mother brings a child or parents brings a child that is experiencing mental health issues? So when do you see the difference? Or is there a difference? There's definitely a difference. Um, there's different uh, different assessment tools that helps you to kind of determine, you know, if this is just a two-year-old having a tantrum versus a two-year-old that may be exhibiting certain symptoms of um, a mental health condition. You know, it's normal for a two-year-old to say no, 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 and to like drop themselves on the ground with all their weight and not want to get up. But when you have another two-year-old that's, you know, banging themselves against their head against the wall or trying to hurt their sibling or that's pulling their hair out. That's not that's not normal behavior for a child to demonstrate. It's okay for them to have a tantrum, but when they do things that's um, debilitating or harmful, then you definitely have to have them assessed. I used to be an in-home mental health counselor for children that were in the system that were taken out of their parents' care for neglect or abuse. And a lot of times, you know, the parents would be like, fix my kid. You know, or like the caregiver would say, just fix my kid. My kid is tantruming. My kid is having a hard time at school, not listening, constant redirecting, um, wrong social circles. Um, It's just all types of stuff that they would be going through. And the first question that we would ask is, you know, has there been any changes? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, kids are so emotionally um mature a lot of the times they can pick up on small changes they're affected greatly by these changes that occur by witnessing certain things in the home or in their environment and you know it's important to to assess like Eliana said these these things and to see how they affect them to see um the the level or the degree to which it affects them and to put in place, you know, these tools that will help them to cope better, um, remove stressors, and, you know, just work with the parents, too, because yeah. a lot of these changes are driven by the parents a lot of the times. Early right. intervention is so important, right? Say that again. Early <laughs> intervention is so important. I, <laughs> I used to work in um, child care uh, for PK2, so two-year-olds, two, three-year-olds. And there were some behaviors that I noticed, like both of these ladies are mentioning, where it's not normal for that age group. You know, we're trained to understand the developmental stages of change for children. And two-year-olds, three-year-olds, there's certain behavior and patterns that they're supposed to have and they're not supposed to have. So when we see that and we would assess them every, what, three months or six months, just to make sure that they're reaching their milestones and doing what they have to do at their age. And if not, then we'd be like, okay, what's going on? So we would bring it up to the parents. And can we talk about how taboo it is to talk about that too? Because the parents would be like, no, my kid is fine. He's fine. He doesn't do that at home or she doesn't do that at home and it's normal. 
So I think we need to, you know, normalize early intervention as well, because at the end of the day, that's the only way we're going to maybe redirect some of those behaviors or assist with getting them to a better space. And a lot of times issues that they have in the home, you're whispering, right? I'm trying to, you know, project. (laughs) It's a lot of times issues that they have in the home as well can impact behavioral changes with the kids. Right. So if mommy and daddy are fighting a lot more often during that month or something has happened, a death of a loved one or something that can impact the behavior of the child. So being able to understand and see and figure out, assess the situation at all times so that you can figure out how you can support and better help that child get to a better space. And I would add to that, darling, one of the things that's also important to do is really to monitor. Right. Because if you have a child that. um you know, that is quote unquote normal, doing all the things that a typical, let's say five-year-old does. And all of a sudden the child starts like wetting their bed or not using the bathroom, or they become really like recluse. Then you would have to question what's going on. It could be a lot of things. It definitely is something in the environment or maybe something that's happened at the school. So it's important as a parent or counselor or clinician, whoever's with that child and has um, contact with that child to notice these different changes, because that's very indicative of what's of something else happening. At the, in the home or with that person, with that child. So what are what are some things that we can do to improve our mental health? Mm, well, coping skills, my favorite topics, yes. right? So practice healthy coping skills, setting healthy boundaries, mm-hmm. right, is so important. So if you know you're going to pick up a phone call and that phone call is going to consist of not positive things, things that are not going to help to improve your day or make you feel happy or make you feel at peace. Why pick up that phone call? Maybe wait until you're in a better space. Maybe wait or not pick up that phone call at all, right? Setting healthy boundaries is important. Sleep patterns are important. Sleeping early, right? Sleeping at a timely fashion and then waking up early. Practicing coping skills throughout the day like you know, showering, brushing your teeth. These are little things that you do, hygienic things that can help to improve your mental health in little ways. Um, journaling is even more further along in the coping skills, right? Working out on a daily basis, reading a book, um, doing your hair, doing your nails, spending time with a loved one, hugging someone. (laughs) These things are so little and we don't even think about it, but they're so important for us to, you know, take care of our mental health every day, little by little. Yeah, I, I say ditto to that. I think it's also important to, um, I like to do a lot of like self-reflection um, because you have to really sit with yourself sometimes because we go through our day, we do certain things and then we just kind of go, go, go because that's, the, the, that's just how our life um, happens. But I think it's important to kind of reflect and say, okay, you know, what am, am I taking care of myself? Am I establishing healthy boundaries? Am I sleeping the way I'm supposed to sleep? Am I engaging with individuals that add something to my life and, you know, really separating myself from individuals that don't? So just having that moment where you can really sit and say, okay, so this is what's going well for me and this is what's not going so well. And how do I make a positive change moving forward so I don't keep repeating the same pattern over and over again? I love those things. And I love self-care. Self-care is my thing right yeah. there. So treating yourself with love, taking care of yourself, a little bit like the coping skills that you mentioned, darling, but, um, you know, just taking it a step further to take care of yourself in different ways. So um, like our previous guest, Miss Lori mentioned, um, you know, taking the holistic route, 
when it comes to self-care. So like you taking care of yourself physically by eating healthy, making sure you get the nutrients, taking vitamins, um, sleeping, like Darlene said, sleeping well at night, um, you know, routine structure. Um, and then, you know, spiritually, if you uh, uh, subscribe to a, a, a certain religious practice or belief system, um, support groups, um, spiritual groups within church. And then there's the emotional self-care, like you mentioned again, Danny, journaling, like you mentioned, Eliana, um, being reflective, um, being self-aware, um, you know, processing things with a loved one, especially when you go through something challenging, um, debriefing when you're done. So all of these things encompass self-care and they're very important that we kind of routinely do um, to take care of ourselves. It releases stress, it increases um, awareness, you know, within ourselves and we take care of ourselves that way. We feel better, you know, as the time goes by. I'm going to add one more sentence and then we can move forward. It's okay to say no. Yes. Okay. It's okay to say no. It took me years to learn this lesson. It was a hard lesson for me to learn. But when I realized that I was giving myself more over to other people than I was to myself, it wasn't, it wasn't productive. Okay. And I was putting, I was putting, I wasn't helping myself in that situation. So it's okay to say no. I'm giving you permission, guys, to say no. Okay? Okay. I'm definitely going to say no a lot now. <laughs> you're you're going to do it. <laughs> uh, what are your hopes for the future of mental health care? I just hope our Black community can increase awareness of this topic and get more involved there to be more black clinicians, um, for us to be willing to get therapy without having someone like drag us by our ears to get into therapy. Um, and just being open to the idea of, of learning more about what it means and how we can better care for ourselves as a community and as individuals. And I would add to that, Darlene. So in addition to definitely having more, um, black clinicians, I would definitely say, accessibility and affordability. We can have as many black clinicians as we want to have, but if they're not able, if our people are not able to afford that level of care, then the, you know, the need is still not being met. And in terms of um, having access to that, you know, you look at the inner city um, community uh, healthcare center, sometimes it's not the best care that's offered to our, our population. A lot of them are misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed, not given the medication that they need to have to, um, you know, to get better. So accessibility to premium um, mental health care, as well as the funds to be able to access those cares, that care. I love that. I love those things. Um, I mean, I, I would I would hope that the this people continue to shine light. You know, like you said, um, celebrities, people in power, people with a voice, with a platform. I would only hope that they continue to shine the light on mental health. Um, you know, I always use this example with my clients. If I had a, a foot or leg issue, I'd be running to the orthopedic doctor. If I had 
a heart condition, I would keep up with my cardiologist appointments. Why is it that we are not kind of um, tuning in with our needs mental health wise and getting the help that we need regularly? It's very important um, that we continue to do so. Even if we become aware of these things, it's important to, to follow through, right? And to get the help that we need, um, you know, when we need it regularly, keeping up with it. Not just one therapy session, one um, intake, you know, and then we just fall, the way, fall yeah. off the wagon, fall off the face of the earth. Yeah. We have to keep consistency within our, our, our care, you know, whether that looks like um, taking care of ourselves physically, emotionally, mentally is, is very important to keep that consistent care going. So I hope the people that have the platform continue to shine that light on the important things that we need to, that we need to to know about to keep it going. Excellent. I mean, we co- we covered a lot today, and I am grateful <laughs> and happy for each of you today. Um, for the listeners, if they would like to contact you, do you have a contact number, email, or social media handle you want to provide um, so they can reach out? Anybody? Well, mine was shared in the previous podcast, but at Tida, spelled T-I-D-A underscore 94 underscore. Um, I can be reached at 305-741-4648. And um, you can just Google my name. I come up on all media and my website on my employer's site comes up. Um, my name is A-N-G-E hyphen F-E-N-N-I-E, last name Jean, J-E-A-N. Perfect. And then before we go, I wanted to talk something fun, something, you know, wow. If you were a superhero, what would you want to be? Huh. Superhero. <laughs> I would want to be... Wait, like we're creating a superhero or we're picking a superhero that already exists? Let's do both. We have time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if I were to create a superhero, I would wish to be invisible because there's certain spaces. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. Listen, there's certain spaces and rooms that I'd love to be like a, a fly, fly on the wall. wall. Yes. <laughs> so I can hear and see their techniques and learn some Who new skills. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just know, but there's certain things I can learn and be like, okay, I'm going to take that, write a little notebook. You know, my pad will be invisible too. And I'm writing (laughs) notes on how to do certain things, you know, but an actual superhero, I would want to be um, the flash. Why? Because he's so quick, right? In the same way of being invisible, I would be able to get in and out of situations quickly. (laughs) Wow. We were saying we were going crazy, right? So I just wanted to That's share That's wild that. and crazy? <laughs> that is wild. That's my wild and crazy. I don't know how you're going to be able to see your notes in the Invincible Notepad. But The Flash was able to do it. Have you watched the series? You nope. should really get into no, it. No, are we talking about the Invincible Notepad? You say, <laughs> oh, yeah, no. How are you going to be able to see your notes on the Invincible Notepad? I don't need to see it. Well, if I'm invisible, actually, I can see it myself, but everybody around me cannot see it. <laughs> You guys ask me. <laughs> I cannot. Come on, guys. You said in, innovation, okay? Innovation. All right. All right. That okay. excites oh, me. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right, superhero, invisible D. 
Invisible Man. D. I like that. I like that. Thanks. How about you, Indiana? <laughs> I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around <laughs> Invisible D's concept. Wow, 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 wow. Um, but okay. So if I have to pick one from today, I would probably say Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. The reason being is. She's a woman, all encompassed. She has the strength. She can still have a love life. She can still have a family, but she's not to be messed with. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I had to make one up, um, I would want to have the ability to see the future. Mm-hmm. Because if I can see the future, <laughs> I then I can work on things that need to be addressed such as mental health so if i see that they're about to sign this bill into into place that's going to take away funding then that paper is going to disappear <laughs> i would be there to help you make it right. Right. no invisible d come to like <laughs> right she'll sneak in i'll be like darlene i saw that they're about to sign bill 156b darlene's like i'm on it so darlene will sneak With into the flash the- yeah she'll sneak in there grab the paper gone they're trying to sign it <laughs> yes <laughs> so that's okay. what i would do that's, 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 that's what- so good yes did you think about yours yet how about mm-hmm. you <laughs> Well, my favorite is Superman. I mean, I don't know. You can't beat it. You can't. He has so many superpowers. You cannot beat it. Um, uh, okay, I would be. I would be Superwoman, right? The, the female version of Superman that's not allergic to kryptonite. Okay. Okay, and uh, with with the invisible powers, because <laughs> that was a good thing. right. You guys want to lurk? You want to be a lurker? <laughs> You know how much information and intel we can get by being invisible? No, but you can get Alice. but you can get that by being able to see the future. You can, but guess what? You need someone to be able to grab it for you. How are you gonna grab the paper if you don't have an invisible man in the room? But as a clinician, I have the power of persuasion. Mm-hmm. So I can be like Darlene. Go get that paper. Ooh, I'd rather not confront. <laughs> Just oh. grab it away from them. Already done. <laughs> Got it done. What about you, Enrio? Uh, me, the best. Power. And don't say pop, but Batman, Batman, Batman. Oh, Batman. Batman. <laughs> the best power I think I would love to have is the power to, I think, of a place, and I'm there. Oh, like teleport? Mm. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's a nice one. I didn't that's, even think about that. That's yeah. the best one. Like right now, after this podcast, you know, I close my eyes and I think of Cancun. And I just nice with the tequila. Yeah, and I go to sleep in Cancun tonight. But with invisible power, you can get on the airplane. Oh my but, <laughs> but you still need a seat. What you gonna sit in the aisle? <laughs> I can stand. They, they gonna be like, excuse me. Hey, why did they not? Move? I'm gonna stand right in the middle. Hold on. So, so I guess you're only gonna go. <laughs> you're only gonna go on two-hour flights because you can't go anywhere else. You see, listen, this superpower. Y'all really gotta think about this. This superpower can encompass any of these super people. No, that you just, no, and it, it can no. It, can, it doesn't have the strength. It can compliment, mm. but it doesn't have the strength. I don't need the strength if I'm invisible, honey. Wow. How you gonna? Yes, you do. You can't get in the plane. You can't lift the gate. You need somebody to come and lift the gate for 
are you? Lift what gate? I'm already on the plane. They're already on <laughs> the door. No, no but somebody bump into me. No, okay, but... so let's let's say you're trying to get into the bank. You mm-hmm. can't get into the bank. You can't pull that vault door. You need the strength. So that's why I'll be mm. like, I'll be like, well, I don't want, I don't want to be a criminal now. You're talking about oh, you're wow. talking about you're talking about lurking. That is no, a criminal. No, that is a criminal. No, they wow. opened the door, so technically it was not that's breaking not... and entering. Okay, guys, I this is incriminating. <laughs> we got we got careers and licenses. <laughs> This is incriminating. Oh, Lord. I'm sorry, Andrea, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, with your no, story. you're fine. You're fine. He just I, wants to teleport. Yeah, that's that's really <laughs> Cancun. That's pretty much mine, you know. Cancun, uh, the Maldives. Like, you oh, know, nice. on Sunday, oh, yeah. I could just go to the Maldives. Can you take people with you? Yes. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we all can go. No, it's a maximum of three. <laughs> what? One, two, three. three. Oh, you're talking about Debbie <laughs> and Ashley. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Oh, no. you know, uh, too many people too will many be, people. Will okay. be like, hey, oh, you know? happy. too much baggage. But Invisible D will be able to. <laughs> Invisible D. You I'll be in your, I'll you your luggage like he this. Be, he'll be like, why? Why I can't get the bag? <laughs> it's a rolling bag. It's Wait, rolling why bag. I can't? What the? <laughs> I can't. Well, uh, wow. That was fun. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. I forgot well, they can't see me. So thank you very much, guys. Um, to the listeners, I would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Like, subscribe, and share this podcast. And also remember to take care of your mental health. And if you have, if you know or have someone that is going through a mental health issue, make sure you're there to support and get the resources for them. And with that, thank you. Until the next one. Thank you for listening to the Are You Really Living podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us on social media. We would love to hear from you. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep growing. And most importantly, keep living your best life. Please like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.